Hi, I'm Jackie Healy. I'm the curator of the exhibition Wallyerti, The Art of Balgo. I know from uh, looking around the room that, that some of you have been to Balgo, but maybe not all of you. So I thought I'd just start uh, with um, locating us where our journey is taking place. And Balgo is in the middle of the Tanamai Desert. It's equidistant from uh, Kununurra and Alice Springs. Uh, the way to get there is, is along the Tanamai track. And this uh, map here uh, clearly um, locates it. And, and the map also points out the various language groups in this area and also indicates the, the dreaming sites that are referred to uh, in some of the artwork. So when you're looking at the show later, it, it's really um, lovely to come back and look at this map to locate where those areas are. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is the beginning of a contemporary art movement. And I know many of you are very familiar with the story of the beginning of uh, Papania Tula, with the artists at Papania being in a situation where um, they sought to reassert their culture uh, when they were living in a very assimilationist uh, regime. And this happened in the early 1970s. Well, this was something that the people of Balgo were very aware of because the five language groups that come together in Balgo are connected you know, right across um, the desert country. And of course, they heard what was happening at uh, Papania when it came to painting country, when it came to painting religious iconography, when it came to uh, telling stories that previously had not left community or had not been seen outside initiated circles. So we're beginning our story in Bargo in 1980 because it was in fact that period of time and other things happened before the particular things I'm going to talk about today but there was discussion, debate and contemplation of the act of sharing uh, cultural knowledge in a broader domain happening in Balgo for a long period of time before it actually manifested itself in participation in the art market. And I'm going to talk about today first about a pivotal event uh, that really began that process, began that process of, of sharing art. And to start that story, we're going to have to move again. And that's what's going to happen for the next three quarters of an hour. Every time you get comfortable, I'll ask you to move. So just around the corner. So we're going to look at these works. So if we might over that way. So when this uh, exhibition um, opened uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, 15 members of the community uh, of Balgo coming down for the opening, and we also had uh, Sister Alice Dempsey, 
uh, fly out uh, from Ireland. And that was, um, she came out to be part of the Ursula Hoff lecture. And the important thing about bringing Sister Alice back was in fact, she's a very pivotal part of this story and it's what the people in the community asked if it could happen. In the early 1980s, uh, Father Peel uh, was the uh, priest at Balgo and it was his Silver Jubilee. And Sister Alice Dempsey had just arrived from Ireland and she was working in that community. And what they approached the um, senior men in the community about was to be part of the celebrations because Father Peel had worked closely with many of the senior men in terms of developing a cookajit dictionary and other cultural activity. And it was the idea of the men to um, paint uh, these banners uh, as a tribute uh, to Father Peel. These banners that we have uh, before us uh, have not been displayed together since 1981. And in fact, uh, they were only ever displayed together uh, in the room in which they were painted in the Adult Education Centre at Balgo, uh, because these two banners, the, the long ones, were the two that were part of the 1981 celebration, and the other three was just a, a continual creative surge that happened at that same time by those senior men. This is a collaborative work uh, which was in fact to Father Peel a gift of country. The senior men including um, Mick Gill, uh, Sunfly Japanjun, uh, Donkey Man Lee, all the key elders and leaders at uh, Balgo of the various language groups each betrayed in this banner uh, their country. And that was, in fact, uh, the gift. Uh, not a literal gift of country, but a gift of the spirit of country to Father Peel at his uh, Silver Jubilee. Here, uh, the, the second banner that was done was actually done by the younger men, men in their early to mid-twenties under the tutelage and guidance of the senior men, their sons, their grandsons, and this has a combination of country and uh, Christian iconography. And that again was a symbol of uh, the respect that the people um, felt for Father Peel and his contribution. I know the, and what followed with these three other banners uh, were in fact um, different senior men, uh, Sunfly Japanjun, uh, Mick Gill, uh, Larry Lottie, uh, elaborating in their own way. Now the exciting things about these works is they're on calico and when you look at the catalogue, the inside cover shows what was on the back of these banners, which is newspaper. 
because the newspaper was laid down in the adult education centre, the calico was rolled out and the painting was done with poster paint because this in fact was a spontaneous event and what was used was what was available in the community. There was no time to order canvas or order any type of paint. Uh, it was actually just uh, what the adult education had in their stores and the calico was just rolled out until the men decided that it was the length that was appropriate. So it's a, a wonderful, spontaneous um, act in terms of the creation of these works. Now the mission uh, had come to that area in the late uh, 1930s and the early 1940s and had set themselves up in various locations and moved about a bit. And what is interesting that uh, in the early 1940s it was Sunfly Japanjin, Donkey Man Lee, uh, Jumpo, Japanenka, uh, key leaders uh, brought people in to um, be at the mission. This is in an environment where uh, the canning stock route was active, uh, water holes were being soiled, uh, people were being taken to, to work in the uh, pastoral industry and you also had miners operating in the Horse Creek area. So the, the mission went out to seek people and they offered people food. Uh, the, the story that has been told to me by people at the community in Bargo, and this is what this painting over here represents, uh, is in fact the coming together of the various uh, language groups to meet the priest in the desert. And this um, was painted by Sunfly Japanjin in the 1980s. And what is said about um, Father Alphonse, who was the priest that uh, was the first priest in relation to the Balgo mission, was in fact that he greeted the people and said, I am not a Katia, which is a white man, I am a priest. And what in fact it meant to those people was in fact there was an alternative to the dialogue or lack of dialogue that they were having uh, with the, the um, pastoral sector and also the miners, which was a pretty brutal uh, scenario of conflict and fighting for resources. So here you have um, people who directly came from the desert. So Donkey Man Lee, whose works are behind you there, um, he came in. So did Sunfly. Very senior law people, leaders of their people, came in to meet the priest and to decide whether in fact there was some sort of future there uh, that was different to the other futures being offered because of the intrusions on their land. And this painting represents that coming together. Then you have uh, 
the scenario that comes out of uh, the relationship uh, with the mission, there are many good things and many other things that were not as good, and this is how the people of um, Balgo have communicated this. so the Balgo mission, uh, which was in fact 20 k's from where Balgo is today, and Balgo's real name is Romanu, but when the mission moved 25 years ago, they took their name with them. And Wiromanu uh, means the indentation in the land where the Lumpa, the k- kingfisher, has landed. So it's just a, a beautiful symbol. So Balgo is the name of another site, so the name came with a mission and has stuck really in that regard. But in the old mission, which was that earlier site, um, people have a whole range of stories uh, about reminiscing about what life was like there. And we talk here about the stolen generation. Uh, A very different scenario occurred uh, in Balgo, but with a similar consequence. The um, children were separated uh, from their parents and lived in dormitories, and the uh, parents lived in humpies uh, outside the circumference of the mission, and the children's interface with their parents was during the school holidays. They didn't live with them on a daily basis. And Jane Gimme. Um, Yubina Nappingen's daughter, and we'll look at Yubina's works uh, a little bit later, remembers her father, uh, Gimme, coming to the uh, window of the mission, of the dormitory, uh, in the middle of the night with Cook Goama, you know, behind his back, whispering, telling her to open the window and he'd pass it through. So there was great sorrow uh, as well about that dislocation of uh, family that did happen in the mission. But there's also a parallel um, feeling about a dialogue that they couldn't have had with any of the other the white, white people in that area. So it is a, a complicated scenario. And similarly, the em- embracing of Christianity, and here we have an example Two examples by Matthew Gill, uh, who was Mick Gill and Susie Butcher Butcher's son, uh, which uh, he was deeply um, religious in, in both ways. And in fact, there was an article on the front page of The Australian in 1991 which criticised uh, him, uh, Matthew Gill, for doing a a series, Stations of the Cross, where he represented Christ as a bush turkey. And it was great outrage that the Last Supper was depicted uh, with bush turkey, you know, pecking the ground, where in fact the bush turkey was in fact Matthew's totem. So in fact he was connecting with Christ's story uh, there was a debate, uh, I mean it's a, a fascinating debate to be happening at that level and this education kit that the Catholic Education uh, Society had developed, it was argued that it should only be kept in remote areas, it shouldn't be used more broadly 
because of that rendition of Christ. Now there are some graphic works by Matthew Gill on the other side um, of that partition, uh, but it also shows the uh, position of people, uh, and this was happening in the 1990s still, uh, in terms of uh, trying to negotiate um, a dialogue, negotiate a position. And this uh, rendition of um, Christmas uh, has used Christian and uh, indigenous iconography in terms of telling those stories. And as then and as in Vargo today, uh, both belief systems run together. And in fact, the senior men who did that banner for Father Peel, none of them... uh, were in fact um, Christian and um, a few of them were baptised before they died but many of them did not. So people made their own choices in that regard. Now what this show brings together is in fact what these banners inspired. They inspired a desire to paint uh, in the community and it was the Adult Education Centre run by uh, Sister Anne Dempsey, who in fact just opened its doors and gave uh, people uh, access to materials to paint. They uh, did not you know, have a program, they just uh, made material available. And I will show you in the next room uh, the results of that um, collaboration, if you'd like to follow me. So what we have in these two cases is a a wonderful example of um, a change in use of materials. I spoke out there in relation to the uh, Father Peel's Jubilee in 1981, but like with all things, like with all beginnings, there are always a lot of things happening at the same time. And a, a person called Warwick Nias had arrived in Valgo He arrived as the uh, community cook and he was also uh, a well-recognised Australian artist from Adelaide. And he also um, helped people in their desire to have access to materials and uh, access to paint. So we had two things happening at a similar time. Warwick did this a little bit earlier And here we have a work, and this is a perfect... um, And and Warwick was in the Balgo community for just over a year. Uh, His partner was uh, Sylvie Poirier, who went on to be a leading uh, anthropologist. She's a professor of anthropology at Quebec University and wrote a major book on uh, Balgo. What happened here in, in the moment that we're seeing here is... Actually, going back um, six months before the painting of, of those banners, and uh, Warwick was the cook, and he got um, as his assistants several of the senior women in the community: Susie Butcher Butcher, uh, Nellie Nyami, uh, Bye Bye Napangadi, and they used to, in the evenings, their husbands used to come and join them on the veranda and talk, and out of this. Uh, came uh, the desire to 
for Warwick, he had a car to take them bush uh, to collect stone and do stone carvings. And there are some stone carvings in the other room from a little bit later. So this all began uh, in, in terms of people's desire to make art and engage with a market is that there were also, with the mining companies, the mining companies were visiting Balgo and trying to buy artefacts uh, off people there. So they also said to Warwick, um, we'd like you to look after that for us. We don't like dealing direct. So here we have, Warwick came into my office um, this year, I probably shouldn't confess this, and under his arm he had these two works which had been under his bed in Broome, I, I think, since about 1983. Uh, they're both by Larry Lottie. The first one here, painted in 1980, is ochre on canvas board. And the second one here, painted uh, in 1981, same artist, same country, is acrylic on canvas board. And, and there's always a lot of a debate about, you know, contemporary Aboriginal art, where do the colours come from, Who, who's really leading this. Here you have a situation where the artists consciously, um, when they decided to start using acrylic, matched the ochre. So one might think this might not be such a good match. We've gone from very sombre colours to very vibrant colours but that, in fact, was a choice, a choice to, in fact, engage with the colour of acrylic. And this is in one of the earliest works uh, done in that community. Before painting in ochre, matching the ochre to the acrylic and coming up with a far more vivid panel. And it's always interesting to remember that Rover Thomas came from Billaluna, just up the track from uh, Balgo. So in fact, Rover Thomas, such a famous artist associated with Warman, is not of those people. He's from a different language group. Uh, and that's another interesting story. But his choice of ochre, uh, he could, if he'd gone uh, and painted in another area, he'd be painting in acrylic. But the Warman people decided they wanted to continue to paint with ochre when they moved into the contemporary art market. And here we have the people in Balgo as early as 1981 making the totally opposite decision. Conscious, opposite, deliberate. And how perfect to have the, the two examples coming together. There are some other uh, works on um, ochre on board in that direction. I won't move the whole group to see them at this moment. You can have a look at them later. By um, Arthur Japananka. And he is someone who had come in um, from the desert uh, from a nomadic lifestyle only seven years before those were painted um, in the 1980s. So they're very interesting to look at as well. Now what was happening was that People had decided to, to share their culture in this form with, with a broader audience. And what we have behind people here, and I hope people down there can see, are some very early works done by the senior men. And after um, 
what Warwick also did, uh, and this can't happen today, uh, Warwick um, wrote a grant application to the Australia Council. Mary Maha, those of you who many will have heard of her, helped him with the application because she was also instrumental in selling, helping sell the stone carvings that had their first exhibition in Broome in 1981. Uh, she, Warwick, turned up at the Australia Council on the day that they were meeting to uh, hear the applications. They happened to be having afternoon tea. Um, he happened to just bowl into that and say, I just happen to have a set of slides here about what's happening in Balgo. Uh, do you want to have a look? They did have a look. And in fact, out of that, Warwick got a grant and he became technically the first, um, well, a first government-funded um, arts advisor in Balgo uh, over tea and scones which wouldn't happen today. wish it would, but it doesn't quite work like that. And then the Australia Council people came to visit Balgo and were there on the ground looking at the early work. These works that are across, um, that I'm looking at, are by the, the senior men. They were painted in the Adult Education Centre in the early 1980s, and until uh, two months ago, they had never left Balgo. Uh, for all that period of time, after they were painted, they were framed. Uh, these are new frames in frames that happen to be on hand and for that whole period of time have been on display in Balgo and the uh, community have specially loaned uh, these works to be on display here for the first time. And I think what's so wonderful about those works is that you can almost feel the paint drying. There's just a freshness and vibrancy that make you feel as though they were painted not very long ago. So what we're surrounded by here, uh, which actually took a lot of work to get together because it comes from various public uh, collections, the Burnt Museum in Western Australia, the Art Gallery of WA, the National Gallery of Victoria, and private collectors are in fact works from the 1986 exhibition which was called The Art of the Great Sandy Desert, which was held at the Art Gallery of WA. Now the significance of that is because of that exhibition, uh, Balgo art was viewed as an art movement and because of that exhibition the current art centre Wallyerty Artists was formed. In the lead up to that it was the adult education centre at Balgo that had supplied the artists with uh, paint. Warwick's period there was really just uh, for a year so after that it was the adult education centre that took things up and they had become quite overwhelmed by what was required of them, so it was perfect timing uh, to move on. What is interesting about the works in this room is that they show, and most of these, there are a few exceptions, are, were in the 18, um, sorry, the 1986 show, uh, 
is you can see the diversity. Uh, what is particularly interesting here, these three works uh, show the initiation ceremony for young men. They're actually painted by a young man. Uh, Charlie was in his uh, mid-twenties when he painted those with the permission of the older men. I also got permission again to display these publicly uh, to make sure that um, that view hadn't been uh, changed. And again, looking at... I'm just going to wander down here. Looking at the colour that we see here, you know, a, a Larry Lottie from uh, 1986, which is mauve and pink, another Larry Lottie which is vibrant, you know, pinky red and blue... Uh, very interesting that Bobby West was actually painting at Bargo at the time. You might have people now associate him with another area, but shows the mobility that was happening. And the other boards uh, that are by a range of senior men and young men. So here we have... Um, Mick uh, Gill uh, Jacamara, a uh, senior man, a uh, partner of Susie Butcher Butcher. Next to it, we have uh, Bruce Yami, who was a young man. So, what you had in the exhibition was the bringing together of the senior men and, and the next generation of people coming through the community, this cross fertilisation and this sharing of story and this wonderful uh, celebration of expressing, expressing their dreaming stories uh, to a broad audience, which they were very conscious that they were doing that. What was the driver to the 86 exhibition? Well, the, this is a very good question, and this is this question about how things be begin. I talked about Matthew Gill uh, before, and Michael O'Farrell, who was the curator at the Art Gallery of WA, he, in the interview um, I had with him, unfortunately he, he died a couple of years ago, I luckily uh, interviewed him earlier, said the bridge in this was in fact Matthew Gill. He was a highly talented artist, a young man who was looking to the future, and he listened to the old men and did their bidding um, but he was the bridge, the bridge between those two worlds. And what is particularly interesting is that Wally the name of the art centre, Wally Artists, was in fact a name used and given to the act of the community painting by Sunflower Jackenjum before the art centre was formed. They were using that name in the lead-up to the 1986 exhibition. And what, who was Wally Erty? Wally Erty was a key figure in the Lumpur dreaming. And when the artists came down and you offer people the highlights of Melbourne, um, people from Balgo's favourite place is visiting the zoo. And when they were in front of the... Uh, enclosure which had the kingfisher in it and that who is who Lumpa is, that kingfisher dreaming. And the kingfisher flew, it's a dreaming site that goes right the way to Uluru, flew across country during a, a drought 
picking up people and taking them to water. So lumpa is the symbol of life. And that, um, to have Waliyurti, who was a key man in the lumpa story, shows, in fact, the significance of the art in terms of that choice of name. And in the catalogue, there's a never-before-published uh, rendition of the lumpa story by Sunfly Japanjan that he told to Sister Alice in the uh, early 1980s, and it's been recently translated by uh, young men in the community, and it's, very, it's the most comprehensive version of the lumpa story that's ever been um, made publicly available. So that it's just it's just interesting how that fits together in that regard. Now these over here, I'm going to talk about the women. Just wander through. So what we have here is a beautiful juxtaposition of the men's work on that far wall, and this is the women's work. And you can see a different approach. The women, when they came into paint in the Adult Education Centre, and this again was uh, done through Gracie Green. She was a young woman then. She's a senior woman now. Uh, she uh, asked Sister Alice if they could come in and paint in the Adult Education Centre. The men were already painting there and uh, Gracie, first of all, had got permission from the senior men that the women could also come in and paint. And then she asked Sister Alice uh, as well, as a matter of courtesy. So what was happening there, which was very interesting, is that Gracie, as a young woman, was painting the stories of the senior women. So how Gracie describes it, and her own words are in the catalogue, is that in fact the senior women were thinking about how they translated body painting um, onto another form. And they wanted to record their stories, which originally they did figuratively, and then later they chose to do it um, using different iconography. So here we have the, the seven sisters... Uh, the Napaljaris who were running away from their uh, Jakamara husbands-to-be because they had other um, plans. They didn't like the way the um, Jakamaras were behaving and so they uh, escaped into the Milky Way. But here we have Gracie Green, but she had heard this story from... A senior woman. She was just transcribing that story to, to pass it on to children in the community but also to a broader community as well. Here again we have uh, Gracie Green as the artist uh, and this is the, the story of why we no longer have to crawl around on our hands and knees. These uh, two boys with their bush tomato um, threw them at the sky and made the sky rise up so we could all stand upright. Again, uh, here it tracks across country. So 
moving back to what I was saying before about the Lumpa story, here we have Lumpa uh, led by two women with fire sticks, you know, taking people safely across country to water. And, and it's interesting in the totem system, uh, Lumpa applies to people of all skin names, um, showing um, that the Lumpa encompassed all to bring them to safety. And here's a work by uh, by Nafangati, who uh, has chosen to do her own work here for the 1986 exhibition. But many of the names that we know so well um, chose not to start painting to a little bit later. So there was reluctance by some of the senior people to participate in this, and they joined in uh, in the late uh, 1980s. And here's a, a work by Patricia Lee. Again, um, you can see that close connection to the body painting uh, here. And this is again on Calico, which Gracie Green um, says in her interview that she prefers Calico to canvas, which is a great line. And here uh, we have a book uh, a work by Muncha, a very senior law woman. Again, she didn't paint until uh, later in the 1980s. So a lot of the senior people watched what was happening and then uh, joined in uh, later. Jackie, why would they prefer the to the I think it was the association. I think, you know, you could roll it out have it any length you liked. Um, there seemed to be great comfort. The women really liked the calico. I, I think familiarity with the material. Many uses. Many uses. It was always there, you know, a whole range of things, I think. And behind, just some, we have uh, early boards uh, by Sunfly Japanjan. And these works um, come from these were in out of the Great Sandy, out from the Great Sandy Desert, whereas these two works uh, weren't. They've never been out of Balgo before. They've been uh, part of the um, collection there uh, at um, in the parish. And one of the outcomes of this exhibition has been the, the cataloguing of all the works in Balgo from the separate areas and their publication in the, in the catalogue. So it brings together a large body of work. Is that, is that uh, back to the men's work there or is that women's work? Oh, sorry, this is uh, men's work. So in this room, and we'll go out into the other room now, in this room there's, there's a startling contrast, isn't there? The men's work all along this wall and the women's work is this sec section here. So you also have fewer women painting than men, represented in that 1986 show. But now, when you look at the artists of uh, Balgo, it's the other way around. But in fact, I don't think it will be that for long, because there's a, a large uh, resurgence of interest by older men that haven't painted before and younger men that's happening at the moment, uh, which we'll see the results of very soon, I think. So we might move into the big room.
So what I'm going to do now is, is relate uh, those earlier times to contemporary artists. And here we have a work by uh, Pauline Sunfly. And she's the daughter of Sunfly Japanjan, who I was talking about earlier, who was instrumental in the people coming into to the uh, mission. And she paints her father's story. So I've put her here on a, a wall with artwork by other um, men. And there's Brandy Jungarai um, and Patrick Jungarai, uh, who are brothers, and Brian Majadel, who's a, a young man in his uh, mid-30s. Uh, uh, Brandy uh, Jungarai died two years ago, and Patrick is still alive and well. But it's interesting to see the connections between these works. We also have here uh, works by uh, Lucy Yukumbari, uh, Christine Yukumbari, uh, Elizabeth Newmy. Uh, Elizabeth Newmy uh, is the sister of uh, Patrick Jungarai and Brandy Jungarai. It's just nice to have them close. Uh, Lucy Yukumbari um, is in, in, and Christine in both these um, paintings, uh, they're both painting their mother's country and their mother Lucy Yukumbari is that work with the, the green at the top uh, just over there and so they're continuing, she's deceased, they're continuing to paint their mother's country. And this is the, the legacy of Balgo. The art is about um, communicating country to each other and to a broader community, but it's also a conscious engagement uh, with uh, an art market as well. And that conscious engagement has been there from very early days that need to uh, communicate across culture. And I, I want to finish, because I know I'm running out of time, with uh, two works, and of course they have to be over the other side, but don't move, just turn around. So I, I'm going to talk about Yubina Nakanjan, and then I'll talk about Helicopter. Yubina and, and Nora Wampi, uh, both Kukaja language. They both came in from the desert when they were teenagers. Uh, Nora is still alive. Yubina died uh, last year. And they were friends. And I was lucky enough to see them painting together, uh, talking, laughing, and also just slipping back uh, into a country that they intimately knew from travelling over there and hunting uh, when they were teenagers uh, and adult. This painting here is about Kinyu, which is a spirit uh, from the country where Yubina was born. But there is absolutely... The thing about Balgo, it's brought people together from lots of different locations. And in fact... The artists today, like Yuvena, use painting 
to travel back to where they came and revisit uh, their ancestral country. And, and that is really the power of this art. I just wanted to finish with the power of names and how we associate different things. And I don't know, I'm sure many of you have heard of Helicopter Jumurai, uh, and often people laugh at the name Helicopter. And this is his work here. Oops. Uh, can you see it? Can you see me in it? Oh, stand here. Uh, and this is of the country where Helicopter was born. And in it you see the bush tucker, the lines, uh, the tali, the sand hills. Helicopter was uh, flown to Bargo Mission, Old Mission, by a surveyor who came across his family in the desert and uh, Helicopter was suffering from rickets. And Helicopter and his aunt were flown uh, to Old Mission. Now, Eva uh, Nagamara uh, remembers that helicopter landing and seeing a skinny little boy get out of that helicopter with, with a, an old woman. And it was the community at Old Mission that named Helicopter because that flying machine that none of them had ever seen before had brought him to safety had brought him to medical treatment that he needed. And you can see in that the parallel with the Lumpa story of that kingfisher collecting people and bringing them to safety, which is water in the desert. And the remarkable thing about Helicopter is that his family, and maybe I, I don't think it is that remarkable, knowing the people involved, six weeks later arrived at Balgo Mission the other people that had been hiding um, when the surveyor came down and that initial meeting took place. So Helicopter's family followed him to make sure that he was all right. I'd like to thank you uh, for listening. I'd also just like to thank uh, the people of the community of Balgo for uh, enabling me and letting me uh, work on this project. So thank you very much for coming.